so it's much wider. How are you guys going? Good. Do you remember me? We came to you the test. <laughs> you came to the test. What did you? How amazing was it? Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I wonder, but I need help. We can help you. Okay, so will you reach out after? Yeah. Well, I've got a new idea. Did you guys hear about this test? How did you guys hear about it? Thank you so much. Did say Dahlia? But now I'm on the WhatsApp group. So. Oh, Dahlia, the Sharuk girl, Dahlia. Where is she from? I think she's just. What sem is she at? Here. What? Oh, are you guys in my WhatsApp groups as well? Yeah. Oh, do you, if you want to be. I can send you. The message, yeah. Um, no, the next, that, so basically what happened was I was giving you a, a, a theory in a midrash. Uh, no, I did a I did a test from midrash, which we should do with you guys as well. So basically, um, we just sing and we share the Torah, and, and then um, they really loved it and they said, um, "Why can't we do it with more people?" I'm like, "We can." So I'm like, "Let's do it." But then they're like, "Well, who do we speak to?" Because if we speak to Yu or OU and Zrahi, no one's going to come. It's like institutional and like no one's they're interested. So I'm like, why do we need to speak to anyone? Like you guys are the strongest people that will bring people. So everyone here, take on yourself. We can speak to 10 people. I'll make a post. I'll bring a band. I invited Shani Tarragon. Do you know Shani Tarragon? She's also a friend of mine. I actually told her to do it because I said for, for women, women should do it. And it was important. Both of us did. And then over 300 women showed up. It was crazy. Anyway, the next time we should have at least 600 women. So we'll need your help if you guys want. And then I want to take that six hundred women, and I'm really bothered about what's going on in the country, and I'd love to like create a massive like with the judicial reform and these hundreds of thousands of people protesting, people hating each other left and right, and religious and secular, and it's a real problem. And no one's talking about achdus. No one's talking about like you can only have a fight with someone and last through the fight in that relationship if you have a relationship. And if these people aren't speaking to each other, it's going to rip apart our country. So then what I want to do is set up massive chairs in all random places around the country and just do speed dating. So you speak to someone you've never met <laughs> and like just start breaking down barriers and realizing that 80, 90% of the things we have are in common. If I'm a woman 20 to 30, you know, depending, I'm, I'm like, if I'm a 19 year old, I'm probably thinking about which university I'm going to go to. I'm probably thinking about how people look at me. I'm probably thinking about what job I'm going to do. I'm probably thinking, whether I'm Haredi or whether I'm secular, whether I'm right-wing or whether I'm left-wing. I probably care about this country. I probably care about my appearance. I probably care about my friendship group. I probably care about... Like most of what we do is in common, but people are forgetting that. They're just getting stuck and lost in the... in this, you know, like the argument on this thing. Half the people doing these things don't even know why they are. Like people have become intoxicated by the protests. I was speaking to a friend who goes to these protests. I said, why? They said, because it's bad what Bibi's doing. So I said, what's he doing? To changing the laws. I said, what laws? Like, I just know it's bad. Seriously. Now, I'm not saying she's right or wrong. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not interested in that at the moment. There's enough people dealing with that problem. But it is bothering me, this unity thing. So I'd love to, like, get, like, a grassroots movement of people that want, I don't know, Unity, not uniformity. Or people that want to just like realize that we're one family or people speaking. And it's also affecting diaspora Israel relations, affecting everything. I don't know why I'm oh, so what I learned from this pitch, from this kumzitz, whatever it was called, was that like women are the power to change the world. I can bring the content, I can bring the stuff, but I don't know how to do the recruitment and distribution. So if anyone here wants to help me do it, I'm happy to do any of these things to just discuss. Let's dive in and talk about what we meant to talk about. Which is the four children, the Arvada Bani. So, so I'm just looking at the Haggadah here. Yeah, they're on that cupboard. Oh, wait, on the shelf, on the second shelf, on the right. Haggadah? No, yeah. So you guys are doing a Yom Yom on Pesach, right? So what, what have you learned about so far? On the first part? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I feel like I need to take a step back. Oh, wow. So by the way, the Hasidic Rebbe said that Pesach, Pesach we know means Passover. It comes from 
the term in the Torah where they are where Hashem passed over the different houses. So first of all, don't let Passover pass over. But there's a really unique opportunity. How often are you in Midrash? Like hopefully you guys will be here for the next 10 years. But realistically, this might be the only Pesach where you are in this opportunity. It's very unique. Second of all, the Rambam says, or well, it says straight, straight, straight out that Polam Arbeer, whoever increases their talk in the discussion about the Pesach parade in Shubach, it's a praiseworthy thing. So you want to have something to talk about. Third of all, Pesach says the Hasidic Rebbe is his pair. Now, Sach speaks. Lasuach is to speak. This is one of those times when the mitzvah is actually to speak, to actually talk, to actually delve, to, to really have that opportunity to discuss. We got it says the, the Pasuk that you should teach it to your children in, um, in this day. The whole mitzvah, right, is to discuss this. And you want to have something to discuss, something to think about, something to work at. So I highly encourage you guys, and have to recommend for the ones, to each buy a Haggadah this year that you haven't seen before or download something on the internet with new ideas or different things. That you can just like every day spend five minutes reading a different idea, a different section of Haggadah. It's very overwhelming. I'm going to do the whole Haggadah now. But just take five minutes, even if you get through a quarter of it or half of it, will make it that much more meaningful. If anyone wants, I'm happy to recommend different Haggadah that, that I like but, um, in English or Hebrew or whatever you guys you want. I love Rabbi Sachs' Haggadah. Right? On the, on the right side, on half of it, you've got the, um, the Haggadah itself and little ideas. And on the other side, there's essays. So I'll read like one essay a day between now and then. And I'll just take a section and read the little parts. I'll start with that. I think it's a beautiful Haggadah. Um, but there's, there's, there's so many Haggadah, it's crazy. Um, the word Vehigadah, you can see in the word Vehigadah, the same as the word Haggadah. Higadata, Haggadah. So it's directly correlated with that mitzvah. And the Gid, you know the Gid Hanasha, has anyone heard of that term? When Yaakov was fighting the angel, he got smashed in the Gid Hanabe, sciatic nerve. It was basically connected to the tendon. The Gid is like a tendon, something that's very strong, very connected. And that's what this is meant to do. It's meant to bond us between generation and generation. And this is the, the Sipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim, is a general mitzvah. Every single day you've got a mitzvah to remember it. We do it through the Shema. We do it, but this is a special night where we focus. One of the amazing things about Pesa, about, about Yiddishkeit, about Judaism, is that there's certain values you're meant to have. Like today is the last day of Adar. Hopefully there was an opportunity for each and every one of us, if not, there's still a few hours left, to introspect on what happiness really is. Right? Purim was the focal point of that. We say, if do et Hashem b'simcha, you should serve God b'simcha. The letters of the word b'simcha are the same you can, uh, as the letters of the word machsheva. Machsheva means perspective. Just like you can change the letters of the word machsheva to be b'simcha, we should be able to change our perspective to be b'simcha, to be happy. Because everything lies in your head when it comes to this stuff. The good and the bad and the ugly. There's people that are holding back your happiness because they're taking up real estate in your mind. There's anxiety and nerves about what's going to be tomorrow, what's going to be next week, not going to be like what I was saying before. We're all probably worrying about who, like, who we're going to marry, what job we're going to do, where we're going to be living next year, what's going to happen. That's normal. That's okay. You should be worrying about these things. If you don't, you're not normal. But if they're taking up so much real estate that you can't live in the here and now, it's a problem. You've got to change your makhshava. That's where the, the source of the simcha is. So that's, that's on happiness. It's a whole, that's a whole other shoe that I didn't get to give you guys for print, but we're doing Pesach. Maybe we'll do Yom HaShah, Yom Zikron, Yom HaTzmot, Dagba Omer, Yom Yishulayim, Shavuot. So we've got quite a few coming up after Pesach. But, um, but Pesach is all about this concept of, of freedom. And that freedom is a very interesting thing. We say that we were slaves to Pharaoh. Avadim Mayidu, Lepharah with Mitzrayim. Say it in the, in the Pesach. So. But I always have this problem. Like we go, we go from being slaves to Pharaoh. And what happens at Shavuot? We become servants of Hashem. What's the difference? I'm serving one master and now I'm serving another master. Well, what if you don't? You still have to do it? What's a term that we use for, for someone who's serving Hashem? Right? Hey, how are you? We call it an Eved Hashem. You heard that term? Mm -hmm. Eved, Eved. We're saying a servant of Hashem. 
like most of us here did put up your hand if you grew up religious or you've always been religious. Okay. Somewhat. Yes. The rest of us haven't. I didn't grow up religious. So at least we grew up in Western countries. Is everyone here from America? Someone yeah. here's from England? London. London. Where else? Austria. Austria. Switzerland. Australia. Melbourne. Not Australia, Melbourne. She's got a real accent, not like mine. Okay, fine. So Austria, Switzerland. Perth. You've also got a real accent there. What's your surname? Uh, I asked you this last time as well, right? You were here. Oh, really? Leibovitz. Wait, once. She was from Melbourne. Okay, that's why I got confused. Wait, so you go to Dianella and you were in Vinay, Carmel. It's very easy to read that with one Jewish school. There's the three schools, probably. Um, anyway, what, how old are you? Okay, cool. But what are you doing after this? To Perth? Yeah. Oh, Amazing. So basically, I found this like an issue, like an evidence, like it, it really offends my Western sensibilities. Like I don't want to serve anyone. Like I don't know how you guys feel, but like I don't want to serve anyone. Like I want to be a free person. I want to decide my own things. And when it's juxtaposed to Pharaoh, it's even more problematic. And this this evening is about front end create liberation, but it's not really liberation. It's really becoming enslaved to something else. So how do we deal with that? So our friend from Perth said, what's your name? Rami, Rami Leibovitz. So Rami said that she, that she, we want to serve Hashem. So I'm sure some people do want to serve Hashem. I'm sure some people want to serve Pharaoh or whoever their master is. But I think that's one answer, but I think like it's, it's not enough. Does anyone have another answer? Yeah. Like freedom is when you have the opportunity to really fulfill your purpose. And if you if you have to serve a human being, then you can you can really fulfill your purpose, which is to serve Hashem. And then it's like the freedom to be who you really are, who you're really meant to be. So can I try? What's your name? Ruth. So can I? So you. But are you saying therefore I'm always going to have to? You're saying, I don't care if you like it or not. To fulfill your purpose, you need to serve Hashem. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. That's a really, um, yeah, that takes a certain type of person to appreciate, but it's 100% truth to that. And an Austrian culture would be much more effective than an American culture and that kind of thing. Because there's a sense of, <laughs> but there's a better sense of discipline, there's a better sense of something. See, that's the American idea. Yeah. Argue that we're always serving because if we weren't serving Hashem, we might just like, uh, like play for ourselves or like our own like like desires or anything like that. So, um, to take yourself out of that and serve something higher is more is more so freeing than serving like following your own like subjective sense of what you're supposed to be doing. What do I where are you from? Miami, Florida. Okay, cool. No, I think that's 100% right. I want to develop it more in a second, but I just want to, like, before we take the other two suggestions, like, exactly what we're doing now, this is what Pesach is going to be. Like, with Rosh Chodesh Nisan tonight, we're going towards it on Pesach. These are the kind of conversations I want you guys to have with your Seder. Because it's, like, interesting. It makes you reflect, like, when you were 15 and a Seder, did you have this conversation? Not necessarily. And you can also practically make it apply it in a different way. I'll give you different suggestions, but I'm saying it's very important. We're, I'm sure you guys are all going to be at different people. Are you guys all in Israel for the Seder? No, you're going back to your family? Okay, fine. So, I mean, let's get, to, remind me to get to that at the end. What were you going to say? What's your name? From? Ada. ADA? Yes. Ada. Yes. And where in New Jersey? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. I was in New Jersey last week. Yeah. Basically, I was officiating at someone's wedding in Eurochelle, Um, and they flew me out. A guy from England, Adam Cohen, I don't know if you've ever to a girl from America, and we were staying in Phoenix. Oh, cool. Yes. But the better restaurants, the better restaurants were in Manhattan and Phoenix. 
I went to two. But I did. I went to two really good ones. And I saw an amazing. I didn't go there. Have you heard of this new one? Sunsets. What's in Manhattan? It's an Asian one. Sinsen. It was amazing. What's it called? So like it could be that like God's structure and like follow it correctly and like you really figure it out. You kind of release your your soul and like your true self. But like it, it could be difficult, but that's the right because like if you do whatever you want, like let's say I'm like, I'll do whatever I want on Netflix all day and like you can't be in it. That's not really the thing itself. Now he's going to to the candy and the movies and like whatever. So, like, I don't know. I'm going to forget this. So, I'm going to write it down. The first answer we had was from uh, Leibovitz. What's your first? So, Rami, no one's going to be able to read this. Don't worry, I have a terrible writing. And you said, um, We want to serve Hashem, right? The second answer was, from root and that was our purpose yeah the third the third one barry b-a-r-i like barry wise and the and the answer was oh we're all serving something i wasn't doing it for long but you deserve it for being late that you missed out about new jersey I was late as well, but I probably have to drive a bit further. And the third and the fourth one. It's okay. Yeah. Rosh isn't is Tanan. You're very good. Okay. What's your name? I did. Okay, so we've got. That's so cool. Australia. Austria. Uh, why isn't it America? Why is America has a state and everyone else is a country? Yeah. Exactly. That's only what Americans think. There's a bigger one of in America. And Ida was from? Oh, fine. USA, another American. I'm married in America, don't worry. So basically, um, have you ever thought about this? Because you're deep. So, okay, fine. So, so now we're going to, anyone else want to suggest something? Yes. Where are you from? What's your name? Yeah. Alex, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically nothing's neutral in life. No, they're not. They're either bad for you or they're good for you, depending on when you eat it, what you eat it, how you eat it. It's either tasty or it's too much. Like, there's really nothing neutral. Have you ever thought about it? Yes. Why is water neutral? No. <laughs> oh, well, no, I agree. There's a lot of neutral things, but once we as human beings engage with it, but then you take it in certain ways. I read the craziest article this morning that there's people that now look at the Israeli flag, which is always a symbol of our freedom and unity and our people, etc. And now people are looking at it as a left-wing symbol because it's being used in the protests. Or someone else had a picture of it and they saw it as a right-wing symbol. So it's crazy. We should hold on to it as a unity symbol. The triangle is pointing up and down, connecting heavens and earth. That's what it's truly about. Am I going to be yes? Are you Scottish or Irish? Scottish. Okay, cool. This is like the most eclectic group. Yeah? Like international. Yes. 
So basically, have you guys heard of what we're talking about? Within Hasidus, um, the Balak, whatever, there's a book called Tanya, which is like the most um, prominent book in Hasidus in amongst Chabad, amongst the Babich. And basically, they put everything into three different categories Kedusha, Noga, and Klippa. Kedusha is something holy, Klippa is something that's um, unholy. I mean, it's, it requires a lot more conversation, and Noga is some, somewhat neutral. But he shows how, like, Often it can be used the same thing to one way or the other. So I want to ask, I didn't come here to talk about this at all. I was going to talk about the four sons. So I want to make sure I do that at the end. What time is this meant to finish? What is your next class? Oh, quarter two. And if our next class is an hour, this is supposed to end at half past. It was meant to go from nine to ten, I think. But if you guys are happy to go a bit over. Uh, where are you from? Oh my God. It's cool because it means like like a lot of the other places like people come as a block or a group to. It seems like most of you came alone or maybe knowing two or three people, not knowing like everyone, which is really cool. And now we're one big family, all around the world. And you can also crash it different. Now you guys have addresses in like almost every country that you're gonna want to visit. Not a place one's house. So basically, you're, are you all gonna end up staying in the job? No. Oh. Yes, yeah, some of you. What's got to do with the board? That, that's just, that, I don't really want to talk about that. This is like really. <laughs> yeah, you'll have a bigger house. And yeah, there's like it's cheaper to be around. And yes, there's like everything's in much bigger quantities. And yes, everyone's American. But we don't say Meshka Hefkina. Just don't say it. This is like the, this is the home of the Jews. So basically, um, when, when you, you got, we should all, we should all, I just started a shawl in Katamon. You guys should all come for a shabbat because we like to travel together. It's called Eric's Tender. I didn't make up the name. We do it in a building, which is a, well, first of all, it's written in the Bracha, Eric's Tender, but then uh, there's a building in the building, there's a kolal there that, that teaches Dayanim. So we use that on Shabbos and Kagim and even judges. So. Okay, so basically, we're going to go back to um, these answers. I just want to give a little bit of context to some of them. I want to make sure I cover the four children. I want to make sure I give time for any questions or anything. But I really think the main point, what I've already said, the Gid, it's connected like Hagadah. By the way, the word Evan, which is rock, which is like the strongest substance we know, right? Evan. Is made up of two words. Of, which is a parent, and Ben, which is a child. Yeah. <laughs> because you feel like the connection of our people to be like it was like a rock can withstand anything. So anyway, we're gonna keep strong of the people who's the gid, the tender between the generation. The gid is a tender. And we said the word Bigarata has it and Hagadah has it. Is that if that if that stays strong, otherwise our people's going to end. Our job is to tell the story, but if we don't tell the story, where the next generation is not going to tell that story. And I think like you guys choosing to be midrasha shows that you chose not just to hear the story, but to be able to tell it forward. To be able to take a part in, to take an active part, not just to be a spectator, but to be an actor on the stage. And while Teaneck's a beautiful place, we're on the front rows of history right here, right now. Like, we're not just watching it from over there. Like, last night I brought 22, 22 women to the Kotel. I'm actually, I want to post about it tonight. One of the women, they were all from LA. Five were from South Africa and others were all from LA. And this woman, Lauren, was the only one of the 22 that had never been there before. I think these women were in their 50s and 60s, maybe 40s and 50s, maybe 40s and 60s. And, um, and at the, I took the, it took me two hours to get to the Kotel. Because I wanted to take them on a whole guide, and we did four cups of wine along the way, four stations to do it, and then we got to the last one, and we blindfolded her before we came out. We were at the bottom. Have you been in the H building yeah. where, where the the Hall of Tunnels, the Hall of Notes thing? So we come out of there, and then we blindfolded her. We walked. To, by the way, I've got an amazing video about this. I did this. It's got, it's got like fifty, sixty thousand views on YouTube now. People use it, but basically. 
So we blindfold her, take her there, said a powerful idea, sang a song, and then lifted this up. And it was like literally the Techazena in Enim Shufchalitzion. It was literally like returning her eyes to Jerusalem. And everyone there, including myself, who's been there thousands of times, felt like we're seeing it again in a new way. From the front rows of history, yeah, you want to go to team. The bottom line is that um, that's that's the most important part. No, no, it's fine. We need some Jews there as well. Um, so, so, so that's the most important part. But I also want to talk. So that's the most important part. Speak about it a lot, Pe Sach, right? The whole concept of giving it over. Have things to do. I want you guys to learn about it. I want you, you're going to have a day of it today. Take notes. Take ideas. Bring it with you to your seder wherever you are. Don't overburden people in your seder, especially if it's like your parents are like, oh, she went to Midrashah. Like, oh, this from person is going to come and just rather pick really good things that you want to discuss. Don't say too much. Let people more when it comes to that kind of crowd. If it's a crowd that's more into it, et cetera, then it's great to do it. But the way you express, especially those of you that are going back to places and like you come to this like from Midrashah in Jerusalem, it's like, what the hell is she going to flip out? What's going to go on here? It's very important how you express yourself, what you're like when you're back. It's more important the kind of person you are, how you speak to your parents, your friends, like just that, that, that you're thoughtful about it, that you seem like a normal person that's become more thoughtful because of Midrashah, then how much Torah you can say. It's much more important, your relationship, than any Torah you're going to say, because that's going to have a much bigger effect on them. If they see that you're a happier person, if they see that you feel a bit more fulfilled, a bit more purpose, you've got better manners, you've got all these kinds of things is what this is really about. Pesach is an opportunity to be able to do that. So I want to quickly do this, and then I want to get to the Arabanim. So basically, um, we want to, yes, it's true. I think all these answers are true, basically. Uh, but I want to go, um, go on um, these three for a second. Because while this is true, we want to, like, sometimes we don't realize always what we really want. I know. No, I agree with you, but I'm saying we don't always realize what we really want. Like, you, who said the waffles before? Right? So you're like, I really want a waffle, right? And then you really want another waffle. I can tell you me, my stomach doesn't recognize how much it's eating until like two hours later. So I could eat like 10 waffles and then realize I didn't need that. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so what you want and what you need is different. So we start up with what Rami said. We want to try. Yes, we want it. That's a fact. But how do we actually get to the place we want? It's very interesting, by the way. So much so that the Rambam says, that you, if you guys know what a, um, an aguna is. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's heard it. Yeah. So basically, the Rambam says it's very important that a husband gives a wife a gift. Now, thank God, there's ways to be able to deal with this. There's, a, there's like a prenup, a, a halachic prenup. You should all sign it at your wedding. It's very important. That basically doesn't, like, makes it much harder or prevents your husband one day from being able to withhold a gift. Now, you guys will never have to worry about it, but the more of us that do this, the more it helps other people that have to worry about it one day. The Ramam says that you can beat up a person, right, until they actually give a get. Sounds crazy, this. Because they really want to be a good person. They really want to give a get. They've chained this woman down. They can't do anything. So you can actually, like, make them do what they want to do. Okay? That's the only time one of the very few times ever that you actually can force it to that level because it's impacting someone else. But it shows that underneath there's a desire that we all want to be good. There's a desire that we all want to connect to something more than ourselves. That's our purpose. I think these two are very much related, right? What Ruth said as well. I was going to say about release for a second. Ada said, yes, Ada said that well, I'll, I'll just say it like this. Do you guys, does anyone play sport here? Sport, sport. Soccer. Everyone knows about soccer. Yeah, so soccer. So soccer, let's just take soccer as an example, or football. So soccer, um, basically, like when you're learning to play soccer, it's really hard. Like you're not used to walking around, kicking a ball and controlling it to this level and being able to juggle and being able to park, kick it far, kick it short, etc. But... At the end of the day, soccer sucks if there's no outlines, if you can just pick up the ball whenever you want. When you're young, you want to pick up the ball whenever you want, right? But it sucks when you don't have any rules, if there's no goals at the end. The Torah provides a framework for our life. It's a guidebook for life. 
that provides a framework. Now, some of them suck. It's annoying. Like, like it would be annoying now if I said, I know you've got a phone there. Please don't use it. Like, that's really annoying that I said that, right? Yeah, because you're just using a phone, right? But she feels bad for a second, but she knows I really say it because I would be using a phone if I was in the class. And if I want to tell myself, and I want to just, like, if you care about someone, you want to do it for the right reason, you provide that. Like, my son didn't want to go to school today. The end of the day, I have to send him to school, otherwise it's bad for him. You might not realize it right then. there. We have to have certain rules in our life. And that's exactly like soccer with the goals of the outlines, those components. And once you get better at soccer, you crave those rules because the skill actually exists in being able to go close to the outline but not going out and being able to kick it to the right. Like that's, that's what makes it. There wasn't a time limit on the game. You can play for too long. So, so that's, I think, what the Torah provides. And the rules that a Pharaoh can provide are rules that serve him. The rules that God provides are the rules that serve God. But since we have a piece of God in ourselves, by serving God, we're serving ourselves, that higher purpose of ourselves. And that relates to what Alex and Barry said, which is basically we all serve something. Like, even though you guys come from different countries and different places, like, you guys have obviously very different from a very specific perspective, fashion, right? If I look around the room, Everyone's wearing something like slightly different. You can see there's different fashion tastes, different styles, whatever it is. But it's not like crazy different in the sense that no one walked in with a sombrero. Is that what it's called? Sombrero. Like a massive hat. Or no one walked in with, right? Like I'm just wearing like shoes and shirt and pants and a shirt. That's all I wear every day because I bought like 20 of these shirts and I just bought four of these pants and then I just like, that's what I do. That's what I do. So, like, and why I honestly have no sense of this kind of stuff because my wife says this is what you should wear, and that's what I wear. And then, um, but at the end of the day, I really believe that that shows that there's a certain guidance that we're all having around fashion. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, are serving fashion, whether we like it or not. Something is in, in fashion or out of fashion. By the way, for the person from TNAC, there's a really cool new store. I went to, um, um, American Dream Mall. Yeah. There's a new store called The Address. Have you heard of it? Oh, okay. Another one. Question? Yeah, yeah, but listen to this. This store, this store is 55,000 feet. I went with my wife. It's a woman's store with Sanoa clothing. But it's massive. It's got all these like Instagram brand people. There was just like Muslim women, Jewish women. And, and there was also some like normal people there that went across. Oh, the address. Well, I'm advertising of Saxon's Agada, this store. Don't worry. Oh, you forget to serve you. Thank you. And that's my purpose. My purpose is here to be fun. So, anyway, and the Instagram. And you guys are going to join, follow on the Instagram page and the WhatsApp group so I can call Tora. I'm going to create the next event and then we're going to transform the country. You missed that part, I'm sorry, but you'll be part of the family in the country. We're going to do speed dating with random people, not like to be able to meet your spouse, not like dating in that sense, but to meet someone that you don't know to show how much we have in common. So basically, we all serve something. So that's fashion, right? Other of us serve like our desires. We said, thank you so much. Sorry. Quite a lot. A bit of water. So, so we all serve our desires. Like at the end of the day, the ultimate, I mean, it's, and, 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 like, I think what's really important for you guys to remain healthy is to, on the one hand, realize that, yes, we serve our desires. And yes, it's hard not to. But to create realistic tasks on the journey of becoming more close to your purpose as you do that. So, for example, if you forget one time to climb to Dublin, disappointing. But if you get more obsessed with the fact that you forgot to Dublin and it creates more bad for you, rather than just learning going the next day, then you've lost that. And it applies like if you're trying to keep kosher now, like if someone's trying to, I don't know, dress in a certain way, like we all have different desires. It's very hard to, to balance these different things. If you're trying to keep Shabbat in a certain way, if you're trying to learn more, if you're trying to watch next Netflix less, right? Where our brains are white, like the Torah, the Torah is there to create a guardrail around the way that our hormones are naturally, um, you know, directed. So as we said, there's Noga, Klippa, and Kedusha. 
there's neutral that can be used in both ways. So at the end of the day, every single component of these different things are driving us in different ways. So we want to eat, like because there's a evolutionary, you know, basis that's going to make us want to eat. That doesn't mean that we should just always eat. That means we should shouldn't just never eat. We shouldn't have an unhealthy relationship with eating. But at the end of the day, if you're a woman in this world or a man in this world, and you're just seeing like the amount of stuff that's out on social media, it has an impact on it. Like we are wired to procreate. We need to have babies. So that means we're going to have a sex drive. That's a natural, normal thing. That doesn't mean you just go like certain cultures that we're all exposed to and just be completely promiscuous in that way. That doesn't mean it's hard not to do that. It doesn't also mean that the holiest thing isn't to do that in the right stage in the right way. The word Kadesha in the Rambam's language of Kadesha is a prostitute. The word Kadusha means holiness. It's got the same root. In this holiest act, you could take things into two completely different ways. Kuf Dalet Yushin He. Right? So it, whether it's your sex drive, whether it's your eating drive, whether it's your um, you know, peer pressure, whether it's anxiety, all these things are natural, right? So it's this, it's this huge balance in our life. That's what this servitude is meant to be. It's meant to say, I, I don't want to be a slave. I'd rather be a slave to God than to my sex drive. I'd rather be a slave to God than my eating drive. I'd rather be a slave to God than my fashion drive. I'd rather be a slave to God than my um, whatever it is. Now, why, why is that important? Because like the new idolatry of today is to follow idols, like American idols and all these different idols, right? What are these idols? It's celebrities, it's influencers, all these different kind of things, which are selling these kind of things like sex and food and fashion and all this kind of stuff. I'm just giving three random examples, but I'm sure we can think of hundreds, right? So at the end of the day, that idolatry is really taking us away from that purpose. And one of the problems with idolatry, in my mind, is that it's finite. And this is really incredible. I'll come to you in a second. If I'm serving fashion, I'm limited by that fashion. So if I'm serving that steak, it's going to be delicious. It's going to be amazing. But if it's not in a, in a context of holiness, it's not, then I'm going to wake up like I eat all those 10 waffles, right? If I'm eating it on Shabbos and I have one and it's in the right way and whatever, and it's part of the experience, that's one thing. But I'm just eating 10 waffles because I feel like it. Or if I'm watching one episode of something normal because I want to switch off and relax because my mind, whatever, as opposed to binging till 2 a.m. on a Netflix show and then saying that I was dubbing Rosh Kodesh and Rosh Kodesh is the next day and sleeping in the missing of the field. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. But basically, right, you understand the difference? What's the problem? Netflix is actually finite, which means the Netflix episode finishes. I feel my high from that, right? I scroll for... 10 minutes on TikTok, Instagram, whatever, Facebook. I, I, I get the high from that. But then I walk out, I walk out, like I spend a Sunday watching Netflix, eating, eating waffles and, um, and scrolling on my phone. And I don't feel that fulfilled at the end of the day. I'm not saying that any of those things are problematic in moderation. But if they're not moderated, if there's not guardrails, they are problematic. Why? Because you're serving something that's finite. Therefore, as Barry said, we are all serving something, whether we like it or not. Everyone here is serving something. We are all slaves to stuff. Okay? If I'm going to serve something, I don't want to be confined by that which I'm serving. The only thing by definition in the world, this is a bit deep philosophical, only thing that, that's infinite in this world is God. So therefore, by serving God and attaching myself to something infinite, I broaden my own horizons to be infinite. I broaden my own capacity to be infinite. I allow myself to be able to transcend, like God is transcendental, those finite desires. Like on Yom Kippur, how can I fast? It's crazy. How can I be in shul all day? It's crazy. Right? Everything about that culture is telling me to go and procreate in that way, whatever it is. Have fun. Be promiscuous. Go to those parties, go to those clubs all the time, do these things. Everything is driving because every celebrity I'm seeing is doing that. And I could be on bikinis on beaches. What am I doing in a mid-rock This is crazy, right? All those things. But you know what? When you're transcending that, that form of idolatry, when you're opening yourself up, you're actually, by serving the limitless, you become limitless yourself. You're not adding limits. You're actually breaking free of the limits. 
You understand what I'm saying? That's the desire that we're trying to achieve on Thursday. I, I prefaced it. I first explained to you guys that I don't like everyone should. I don't know what I don't know any of you guys well enough to comment anyway. But therefore, I'm not saying every single person should dive in three times a day. Every single person, I mean, obviously, ideally, you should be doing everything the same. But if anyone misses out on doubling one time, or if anyone isn't fully Shamanagia, or if anyone isn't fully kosher, or if anyone isn't fully any of these things, then like that's fine. We're all on a journey in some way. None of us are perfect. But in each of these areas, now that you've been exposed to something in Midrash, you should be doing something. So even if you're not doubling three times a day when you go on holidays in second, every single person in this room should be doubling. Some of you might be doing the Shema Namida for five minutes every morning. Some of you might be doing full Mincha, Mariv, and Shachrit. And you, you need to discover where you're at. Whatever it is, you need to push yourself slightly, but not too much. Don't ask me what's the job of a rabbi. And I said to bring comfort, based on something a good friend told me, to bring comfort to those that are uncomfortable. Right? So everyone's uncomfortable in some way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, I've had to speak at funerals, we've had to go to shiva homes. Everyone here, including each of us, uncomfortable in certain ways, have to be there to listen and to help and all of that. And it's also to make the comfortable uncomfortable. If you're too comfortable in the stage, my job is to make you a little bit uncomfortable. And your job is to do that for yourself, which means that if you've just been saying Shema every day, and that's what you do every day, and now you've been in Midrashah for a while, I think it's time you add something to your Shema. Could be a bracha for, could be a bracha up, it could be a amida, it could be a bracha shakar, whatever it is. And you can apply that in every area of your life. So you guys know the Torah's sort of framework for the guidebook for life. I'm not saying everyone needs to do everything right now, but I'm saying everything, everyone should do something right now in each of those areas. So each of those areas, you can, you can interpret your own way, what your boundaries are going to be around food, what your boundaries are going to be around Instagram, around Netflix around it doesn't mean you, and, and then if you if you watch you said I think I watch two episodes a day max you ended up watching four episodes don't get like so stuck on it but also know that like you stuffed up and you need to recalibrate and you need to come back to it so that's what this is all about I'm gonna do the I don't even think I should do the four children because I just think like we're ready over time we finished 10 minutes ago they told me 10 15 I know, but I have meetings, so let me tell people I'm going to be late. Hey, Karen, I'm just in the middle of a share and we're going over because they're awesome. So I'm going to call you as soon as I'm leaving and we can start on the phone and I can pick out what we can be done. I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Okay, so basically, um, so let's do this part quickly. So well, I, I don't know how to do it quickly. That's my problem because it's just so deep. Okay, let's take a point. I wanted to, so I've given you guys basically general principles and general ideas now. I want to pick one specific area, one specific part, and just give you like a few perspectives on it. Did they give you a title for this year? Yes, um, the psychology. So that part, yeah. Yeah, so I could probably do 10, but I thought I restricted to four. Um, does anyone care about the titles? But you have to come to these classes anyway, right? Yeah. But I'm saying if I if, if the title was like really ah fine okay cool no it's good to know because I have no idea okay so basically let's do the four sons because then I would be disingenuous to the title and then let's um let's conclude it so the first what was the first one there psychology okay so let's start with psychology has did anyone here study psychology okay so you've heard of Jean Piaget yeah. and the four stages of development. Can you explain it? Um, no. Okay, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'll explain it. Let's take a step back and just read the words for one second. I'm not going to read each one. Each of these has got so much depth you can't even believe. Like we could do this year just on what it said and one just on the right time. But it says this: The Torah spoke to four children. One who is wise, one who is wicked, one who is tam, which is basically like simple naive, one who doesn't know how to ask a question. Any questions on that? 
You've heard that before, right? So you're the Shane Adi Shaw. So, so we got to move you from the Shane Adi Shaw to the Chacha, right? I want you guys each team to ask these questions. Like, one question is if I were to make quadrants of people, right? If I was to do, like, create like different people, I might write on this side wise. What would I write here? Yeah. Not unwise, stupid, ignorant. Would you say right, evil? Fine, but what I'm trying to say here is that evil sounds to me like a behavioral thing. Wisdom sounds to me like an intellectual capacity or knowledge or some type of... Those aren't congruent. If you're going to do this, you understand? Even, even Tom, simple, is more of a state of mind or an approach. And Shaina Devi Shol, like... None of these are like, there's no congruency between these four different types of people. Why? Yeah. So basically, I mean, basically, by, by the argument, I said, but I, I, I just, it's dangerous to start some questions because I'll give you like an hour answer. I'll give you a very short answer. Okay? The Torah says, the Torah has four different ways you respond to children. Four different sukkim that relate to this. And each of those sukkims is where the where they learn out the different types of children. And then the the story, like like There's a whole there's a whole like research on how the Haggadah developed, who edited the Haggadah. Most people call the person who edited the Haggadah the Bala Haggadah. <laughs> Whenever someone says the Bala Haggadah, I mean they don't know exactly who edited it. But they redacted it, they brought to all these different components. Some are Mamarek Chazal, some are um, rabbinic teachings and sayings, some are Sukkim from the Torah. So, like, so it's a whole mishmash of different things that developed, uh, revolving around the things of like Matzamara, revolving around things like the Korban Pesach, these key things that all come from the Torah and involved in time. And specifically, the fourth science um, is basically an, a, like directly responding to the fourth Sukkim that, that I talked about in the Torah. By the way, you'll see that the number four is very recurrent, the four. Sons, there's four questions, there's four like manishtana, there's, there's four cups of wine, there's four, there's a lot about that, which is for another story. So back to this. So I'm gonna ask one other question. Just I was gonna train you guys to ask questions, right? What is redundant? I'm gonna read it in Hebrew. What is redundant? Echad Chacham, Bechad Rasha, Bechad Tam, Bechad Shainer Lishol. Echad, why don't you say Echad four times? You could just say. Can I get overburning Gibraltar Torah? The Torah spoke corresponding to four children. Kolan, Kacham, Rasha, Tam, Veshen, Yerushla. What's the Echad doing? You don't even need to mention one once. They learn four times. Okay, let's dive into psychology. These are just general questions I want you guys to ask. Every every area of the Torah has this. Every area of the of the of the um, Haggadah says Darshan, saying to expand, understand me. Look deeper. So basically, Jean Piaget says there's four different stages of life. I'm not going to go into the detail of it, but basically, if you think about it, when you're born, you're completely dependent. You can't do anything to yourself at all. It's even before you're born. Unfortunately, yesterday, my first cousin buried a 22 week old, um, like, basic like, child. They named, like, the child wasn't able to come to 40 weeks to be born. And they named the child Or, and it was a very, very traumatic experience for them. Um, but the, the, the child had a hole in their heart and they weren't able to continue, etc. So you just see the dependence that we have, even when we're in our mother's stomach. And then when we come out of our mother's stomach, we're literally completely dependent. I babysat for my sister last week. I think it's the first time I babysat, probably ever, but at least in like the last 15, 20 years, as I can remember. And one of the, they have a six-month-old baby. She was completely dependent on me. She can't go to the toilet. She can't wipe herself. She can't eat without someone giving her food. She can't drink without someone giving her a drink. And she can't even express to herself that she wants to eat or drink or be wiped. Right? So they're completely dependent. Sorry? Yeah. That's just how they express themselves. So I think that's the shame of your daily show. That's the stage of life where you don't know how to ask a question, right? Then there's the next stage, 
which is almost the opposite of it. I can't remember the exact ages, so I'm not going to make it up. But let's just call it zero to three is this very heightened dependence. Probably zero to one or two, I can't remember. So then let's say three to, let's say three to 11, right? You go into a different stage where you're tongue, where you're almost simple and naive. And you're still dependent, but you rely on people a lot. You trust people a lot. You ask a lot of questions. Like, why? I mean, I did it. there was thunder and lightning two days ago, and I was spending quality time with my daughter. That's what we call it, quality time. We go out and we hang out together. There was thunder and lightning. She got a fright. And then she said, well, why is there thunder? Why is there lightning? Has anyone ever thought of that? I hadn't. So I got out Google and looked, why there's thunder? Why there's lightning? explained it to her there's this beautiful curiosity of the stage of life where you just ask questions where you're just trying to learn and there's also this trust if abba tells me that that's why i said then you get to the bat mitzvah bar mitzvah teens and and that's in in hebrew it's called na'arut which is adolescence and lina air same root is to shake and you're trying to shake things you're trying to test boundaries na'arut nun ein reish vav and Lina Er, Lamed Mun Ein is to shake. So we're shaking things up. We're trying to test boundaries. We're trying to move beyond, right? And I, there's commentators that translate the Rasha more like that. Not that they're evil, but they're bringing like things that aren't good to test things. You understand? They're testing the boundaries of, of evil. So that's that teenage sage. And the fourth and final is the chacham, wisdom. How would you guys define wisdom? But how would you define it? Forget about what I just said. If I said to me, what is, if I said to you, what is wisdom? No, give me the dictionary definition. Well, give me, a if I open a Webster dictionary and said, I wouldn't know what it is. I think understanding the framework of life. Like, you don't necessarily know everything. Is that what it is? But you understand how things work. So it is being smart. Well, but you might not know. No, but you understand generally how things work. So you can like navigate. You can be smart, like you can know math. Like you can be really smart in math, or like sorry, like in English or something. And like, but that doesn't make you wise necessarily. You could be like a really horrible person. Okay, you got to give me a, a one word to one sentence answer. Okay. Seeing the bigger picture. Yeah. Deep intuition based on experience. Okay. So I, the way I would probably define it is. I would, yeah. I don't know. I feel like that goes into wisdom. Well, I would probably say, like the formula is knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. Kind of right. We'll get to that in a second, but I'm saying when you're when you're growing up, you're you're amassing knowledge, but you don't necessarily have experience to temper it. Right. By the way, there's a there's a phenomenal article if anyone's into more intellectual stuff called Rapture and Reconstruction. It's written by Rokhaim Soloveitchik. I think it was in the 90s. Um, I can send it to anyone after you can find. I think it was written in tradition. And basically, he talks about the death of the mimetic tradition when we learn things because our parents did and we had that, and the birth of the book-based tradition, where people just passkin things based on Shulchan Aruch. Very important in, like, for people like here that don't have necessarily from grandparents and parents where they grew up in that thing, and then you just follow the Shulchan Aruch, and then you feel bad for yourself. Like I did, When I was saying before that you're not all going to be perfect, I'm not saying go and sin, but I'm also saying chill out. Life is a journey. Push yourself, but not too hard. If you're just becoming from by yourself and you pick up a Kitsu Shulchan Aruch, has anyone ever read that thing? Yeah. It's pretty serious, pretty hardcore. You just read this by yourself. It's pretty dangerous. I've, I've seen people that like get very quickly into religion and very quickly out of it because that's their entire experience. So you can't have knowledge without experience. But you also can't have experience without knowledge. That's what wisdom is. And yes, that can only really happen in adulthood. And you got the simplification, the maturity, and the capacity to be able to bring these different components together. So I think that's the psychological approach to force for children. And those are the four stages of our life. Um, interestingly, the Sfat Emet says that even though these are each more pronounced at different stages in our life, 
There is no stage of life where we don't possess simultaneously all four of these. Just one is more at different times. So where, whereas right now you may be in the wisdom stage, there's definitely rebellious stuff going on in your life, right? But you're rebelling against things that you may know better or whatever it is. There's definitely simplicity going on in your life where you're just trusting that what I'm saying now is true. <laughs> no, you're obviously challenging me. Or there's definitely lots of you don't even know what you don't even know. You don't even know what to ask sometimes. So even though we're more faced like, and we're more concentrated in one area than another, we all experience all as one. That's the Spider-Med says this. I can talk about psychology all the time, so let's jump to sociology. I'm like really trying to cram four shirim into one. That's what's my plan. And now I'm trying to create cram four shirim into the last like few minutes. <laughs> so basically the second one is sociology. The Rav Norman Lamb says in Nitagadah that it's it's symbolic of four different generations. So if you think about like pick a like if we pick a place like America or if you pick a place like Israel, so the generation. So let's say we're the fourth generation, right? So the generation of our great grandparents, right, were very often a certain righteousness, a certain chokhmah, a certain wisdom. They, did, they had a lot more simplicity in our life and they're able to focus more on the family unit. Those of us that aren't converted and have Jewish grandparents, a lot of them were religious. A lot of them were living in Europe or in you know different parts of the world. Um, and there, there was a certain chokhmah When those people's children then moved to Israel or moved to America, a lot of them became rebellious. So in Israel, a lot of the people said, in the Holocaust, they went like cheap sheep to slaughter. We need to rebel against this. I don't have this old Jew mentality. They invented this term called the new Jew, which is like really trying to break free of that. In America, a lot of people came and they'd never dream of breaking Shabbos, but they couldn't hold a job down for a week unless they did break Shabbos. Right? You've heard these stories, the Americans, right? And all these different components, they rebel. But if you're going to rebel like that, you have to justify your rebellion. You become so obsessed with it. You're like, I'm going to read Richard Dawkins and I'm only going to listen to like go all the way, all the way into that. And you like try to justify the behavior, whatever it is. What happens as a result of that? Those people have knowledge, right? But they don't have wisdom. So a lot of the people that came and went through that experience, they could quote the Tanakh cult. They grew up in that kind of environment. But then when they're trying to give that what they're living now to their children, what are they doing? They're depriving their child of their knowledge. So then the child grows up and the child doesn't even have the knowledge or the literacy. So what happens there? They become tongue. They become naive. They become simple. They're confused by their, the discrepancy between their religious grandparents and their non-religious parents, not in the religious sense, but in terms of the approach of life sense. And they're literally simple. They don't have knowledge. It's not there. And then what did their children, which is our generation, become? Shaino Yedelishol. Don't even know how to ask the question. It's crazy. There are so many Jews today that don't even know to ask a basic question. They may not even know they're Jewish. And so these are the four generations. The Lubavitch Rebbe says something extremely powerful. In fact, there's an awesome article in Rabbi Sachs' Haggadah called The Missing Fifth. Also, if you don't get the Haggadah and you just want to find it, it'll be online, just type in The Missing Fifth. Because each of the things I said before, there's always a missing fifth. I said the fourth cooking is really five. I said the four cup is really five. That is the largest cup. There's a machloka, the speed of whether you should drink it or not. Everything is already five of these. So where's the fifth son? Where's the fifth child? Five. It doesn't make it to the table. And that's our children. The majority of our children, of our generation, are not going to make it to the table. What's interesting is that when the Jews left Egypt, the fifth, when the Jews left Egypt, it says that they left Chamushim. Chamushim means armed. Rashi, Rashi says, quotes the Mechilta, I think, on the middle thing, and says that there's different opinions, how many, but one of the opinions is that Chamush has the same root as the word Chamesh because only one fifth made it out. Four fifths didn't. The fame is in the Gula today. We're coming towards Gula. We're here in Israel, despite, you know, not being near this. But only one-fifth of us are making it out. The fact that this is the size of the classroom, 
the sad. The fact that we can only add 300 women, even all the women learning in Midrashah today is a few thousand max out of 13, 14 million Jews. The fact that even in a Jewish day school, even in a Jewish youth movement, even in a, having a Jewish home, having a taste of theater in a meaningful way. There's parts in America, in Europe, 80, where 80% of people are marrying out and are leaving the fold. And so that's the missing fifth. That's the fifth child, and our job is to make sure they can come to the table. The fourth, the third type of thing I want to talk about is education. Sorry, what I just told you was in front of Norman Lamb. I apologize. The next thing is from Norman Lamb. What I just pointed you, I saw from Rob Riskin and from Robert Krebi. So the third thing is education. So Rob Norman Lamb says that you have four different types of students, but these four types of students often derive from four different types of educators or parents. The word Torah shares a root with the word Morah, which means teacher, and also shares the root with the word Torah, which means parent. Orim, Morim, and Torah all have the same root. Because it's a partnership between all three to have an effective, healthy child growing in that direction of Torah. He doesn't say that. But anyway, he goes into education. I just get too distracted because the Torah is success. So basically, the first type of parent is domineering, telling instead of teaching, resolving a child who is not taken by the treasures of his tradition, feeling alienated and not even knowing how to ask the question. Shana Daily Shaw. It's just the domineering teacher results in. I'm going to take even slower now just to know you. Now, a domineering teacher results in a child who is not taken by, by Torah. They're not excited about it because they're just forced to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. And they feel alienated, not even knowing how to ask the question. The second type of parent or educator puts their universal identity above their particular identity. This is one of the biggest problems I think today. They put their universal identity, i.e. imagine all the people, no religion, no any barriers between us. Tikkun alam, tikkun alam, tikkun alam. Everything's just about that. But there's no particular identity. Because if we're all the same, why does it matter if I marry a Jew or not? Why does it matter if my Shabbat looks different or not? I don't want to be different to other people. I don't want to stick out. Universal comes first. It's very, very, very typical today. And what happens as a result is a simple child that understands the broader world, but not the unique place within it. At the end of the day, humanity is like a symphony, but we each need to have our unique voice. If you had a symphony, if you had an orchestra filled with trombones, it's going to sound terrible. But if you have an orchestra without a brass section, it's also not going to sound as good. Each one needs to play at a certain part. The third category of parent does not provide boundaries. They just allow them to grow their own way. Do what you want, see what you want. And that often leads to rishaot, to that rebellion, to that wickedness, so to speak, because there was never a boundary to push. So if I have no boundaries in my life, I don't see boundaries, which includes someone else's property, there's no boundaries between me and them. Someone else's body, someone else's feelings, all these different elements. They lack the boundaries. And the fourth is the wise role model. The only one, the only way I know how to bring up a wise child is by being wise yourself, by role modeling. What's really interesting is someone that, like, one of the people that we sort of look up to the most are people that are, that are, that are wise, right? So how do you say, like, a wise person that's, like, that's an incredible person, you call them? The Talmud Chacham. Isn't that interesting? You should call them a Chacham, a wise person, or a Moret. But the Talmud Chacham, I mean, student of wisdom. They should be the teacher, not the student. But a true teacher is always a student. They're always learning. They're, they're modeling their ongoing learning. And, the, and that's the educational approach. The fourth and final one is what I call philosophy. Really, pretty much considered. And it really relates to what we started with, which was. Philosophy. Oh, yeah, yeah. What I did was in each thing I opened up four. So it was one ABCD, two ABCD, three ABCD. Now opening up four. Philosophy. Very simple. It's going to answer the question I asked in the beginning. Why is there a Tarakatan, the Tarakatan, the Tarakatan, 
se parte en el grupo. Because the beauty of this episode is they're all sitting at the same table. Despite how different they are, they're sitting at the same table. That's what we're lacking in Klai Israel. We're not coming and sitting at the same table. I don't care if you're different in behavior or knowledge. Let's speak to one another. Let's connect. And that's the test of a family, despite going on different paths. They have the dignity of difference. They have the capacity you've got to carry on. And I think it means in two ways. Number one, that we're all echad. We're all connected to the ultimate echad, to Hashem. We all have that echad within us. And number two, we also all have these four children within each of us. So the four children of the Seder, and each, each person has elements of the four children there. And that's how we can all relate to everyone, if we really put our mind uh, and soul to it. Yeah, what was your question? That's, yeah, exactly. That's my exact point. It's beautiful. Except for the first time. No, it's our fault. It's by the way, it's really our fault. You know, they call someone that isn't like he's that far away. Which means a child that was kidnapped. And we treat them halachically different because how can I hold some random guy in Texas that doesn't even know he's Jewish accountable for not keeping Shabbos if he doesn't know what Shabbos is? Whose fault is it that he doesn't know what Shabbos is? It's mine. I'm serious. If you guys really help me, I won't have, I don't know how many followers I have on Facebook or Instagram or these WhatsApp groups. We have millions of them. Like at the end of the day, this guy's never going to come to shul. But we actually stand a chance with all these different countries representing this place to get a one-minute Dvar Torah or idea or powerful message that he matters into his feed when he's on Instagram or TikTok. That's what I'm going to come back to, yeah? Um, how does this relate to the four species? Are you talking about the Arba Minim for the Lula of the yeah. It's a whole different discussion. But I mean, does it? Because yes. It the Midrash yeah. compares... Each of them represents different types of Jews. Yeah, that's one has taste, not smell, which yeah. is has both. But is it like, is it, are they like a parallel? I think experience? they're both different metaphors. I haven't thought about it enough to be honest, aren't you emphatically that it is a parallel? Um, but I do think they're metaphors. And I think it's great that you asked that question. Just because I want to conclude, because we only went half an hour over. But I want to end with one little idea, and that is the fifth cup, Eliyahu and Avi which represents the fifth son and every fifth missing fifth that's in there. There is a minhag that I'm very much fit on. Do you understand these words I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There is a custom that I'm very particular on. To not, to, to when, when you pour the cup, to go out and open the door. No, I do do it, but the question is like, why? Like, he's like Father Christmas. He can come in through the chimney. If, if Eliyahu and Avi can be at every single breast and everything will say that at once, like I need to open the door for him, like why can't I come to the window? If he can be in Austria and Uruguay at the same time, okay, if he can be in every single, if he can be in Bereshkava and Tel Aviv at the same time, 